the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 331 from Monday, May 16th, 2011. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab, the show where you send in your questions, you send in your tips, we answer your questions, and together we all learn a little something more about the Mac and Apple here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Fearful, Connecticut, John F. Braun. How you doing today, John? Oh, I'm kind of down. It's kind of a... It is a dreary day here. Uh, in it's England. a dreary... Yeah, I think the whole the whole area is getting where we're going to get rained on. So yeah, it makes it kind of dreary, but... Yeah. But I'm happy to do the show, so that kind Good. of... Good. You know what? Let, then let's dive in. Ken writes... When I open the Finder and go to my Applications folder and view in List or Column view, all the apps are present. But when I go to Icon view, I get an empty folder that indicates 255 items, but no icons appear. It is the same on my Super Duper backup, and when I go to Time Machine, I get the same result as well. I've only done two things of consequence since discovering this. I updated iPhoto, and I used a Clean My Mac program to gain some space. I'm using the latest version of Snow Leopard uh, on a dual-core Xeon Mac Pro with 14 gigs of RAM. When I click on the application icon in the dock, all the apps are present, and the machine runs normally and applications open. They also open from the list and column views from the applications folder. Help! Who stole my icons? So, John, I started thinking about this, and I... I I, I don't think they're... I don't think they've been stolen, though, because that was my initial thought, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you, my initial thought was maybe a cache file. But no, I think you got the mm. answer. You, you got the right answer. But initially I was thinking, is there a program? You know, maybe there's an icon cache or something. And, and just as an aside here, there are cache directories, either in your library caches folder or home directory library caches. So initially I thought maybe it was something there, but I, I don't think it is. And I looked through uh, our favorite Onyx to see if there was a, you know, cleanup icon cache thing. And there wasn't. Okay. But, but I think you hit it. So, so that was my initial path, which was not entirely correct. Though those cache directories, I think, are good to know about because I think some problems could be due to what's in those directories. And I think for the most part, you can whack whatever's in those directories and you won't ruin anything. All right. So, you know, my first thought, just to troubleshoot this, was to boot from that super duper backup, right? And this way we'll be able to tell is the problem... Uh, or sorry, not boot from the super duper backup, but mount that super duper backup on another Mac. Right. And see if the same problem happens, because that'll tell us if it's the something wrong, some setting in the system on his main Mac or if it's something about the way this folder is configured. My guess is that it is the latter. And that folder, when mounted on another Mac, will display exactly the same problem. Uh, and and my guess is that somewhere along the line, something happened with a, a folder, uh, I can't remember if it's a folder or a file, but it, it's named .ds underscore store. And it is what retains all of the positions of all of the icons in a given folder. Uh, resetting or, or rebuilding or simply deleting that file and forcing it to be rebuilt is the trick. Uh, and back to Onyx, that's how you can do it. If you go into Onyx and go to maintenance, rebuild, and then choose display of folders content that goes through and wipes out all the .ds underscore store files. You can actually narrow it down to just the applications folder if you want. 
And, uh, and hopefully that'll do it. I think, I think it will, John. I think, I think that's going to be where the, the problem is because the files are still there. You haven't lost anything other than the ability to see them in icon view. So I concur because I think that that's the purpose of that file is so, so no one stole the icons. They just put them somewhere that you can't see them. Either put them somewhere you, or you can't see them or somehow it got set to display them at a size far too small for, right, right. You, you know, this, maybe it set them to, you know, width zero or something. I, I don't know. I, you know, and we may never know, but, but hopefully whacking that file and forcing it to rebuild will solve the problem in that. That is always the prime directive, right? Solving the problem. It's always great to know what the problem was, but not mandatory solving the problem is, is necessary now if it happens twice now we want to know what it was prime direct our prime directive that's okay, right john jean, jean luc <laughs> got it uh all right let's go to tyrone hey guys this is tyrone from hiram georgia i know second call in a week wow anyway i'm listening to a show from october i know it's may but that's just how i roll um no, seriously, uh, I'm one of those people who um, I download a bunch of podcasts and then I just take a month or two, actually three months, just listening to them all, and then I go and download a bunch more. I don't do it every day. The thing about it is I, I got a feeling a lot of people do like that, maybe not to that extreme, but a lot of people don't download a podcast every day and listen to it and then go download the next one and listen to it to their iPod. The thing about it, there is no good way when I finish listening and I have to go um, go back and, you know, I download a bunch more, like five or six hundred podcasts, literally. And there's no good way to get rid of the ones that I've already listened to on the iPod because iTunes, I didn't listen to them on iTunes. I listened to them on the iPod. So iTunes doesn't think I listen to them. And it's like a manual one by one by one at a time to delete all those podcasts that I've already listened to. I don't want to, again, I don't want to delete. I, and I have them in a smart folder. I say everything that was downloaded before this date, here's, here's the list. And they'll have all of them, and that's my playlist. But you can't go in and delete everything in that playlist and just delete it. You have to, like, go back into the, to the podcast and, like, go through each one and just, okay, delete this one, delete at least five or whatever. Um, I got I to gotta believe I'm not the only person with that problem. And it seems like I mean, I went to the Apple store and I talked to them and you would think that that would be, you know, the way people listen to podcasts in bunches, maybe 10 or 15 at a time, but they don't listen to them in iTunes. And it seems like there's no way to just mass delete a bunch of podcasts without deleting your subscriptions. You know, anyway, if you guys know anything uh, way around that, you know, let me know if I'm doing something wrong. Um, this is where you cut me off. But my All right. So I have a couple thoughts about this. N- number one, I, I want to explain the way I interpret the way uh, he listens to podcasts and what he's talking about. So, so he does, he goes and downloads a bunch of stuff and then uh, puts that he built, he has a smart playlist, not just of any one podcast, but he might have a playlist that's got us and MacCast and no agenda or, you know, whatever, whatever podcast he listens to. And then he syncs that playlist to his iPod he wants to know how to go into that smart playlist and select a group and delete them. And, and actually I'm going to give you that answer and I'm going to give it to you right now. It's option shift delete. It's not in any menus near as I can tell it's not in any help files, but if you hold down option shift and hit the delete key on the keyboard, it will ask you if this is, if you're in a playlist, regular playlist or smart playlist, option shift delete, boom, it will delete or offer to 
trash all of the uh, the files that are the source of all of those items in the smart playlist. Don't know why it's not in a menu, John, but it's not in a menu. So once, but, but with that said, if you've, there, there are some other options um, in iTunes, you have the ability to tell it to remove podcasts that you've already listened to. Um, but that requires syncing from the iPod back to iTunes. And, and for whatever reason, maybe based on your workflow or whatever, Tyrone, maybe that's just not uh, an option for you. But, but otherwise it will do that when you, well, I guess you have to go into iTunes and click refresh on the podcast and that's when it'll go and delete old ones and then uh, go and download new ones. But of course you don't want to download new ones. So here, there's, therein lies the, uh, the rub, but, but yeah, option shift delete should solve that for you. Any, any thoughts on this, John? Of course. Good. Well, no, what I looked at and, and I think this may, what I'm going to suggest. So there are settings for each podcast. Now, there are default settings, but you can disable the default settings. And the one I notice is that there's one called episodes to keep. Okay. And he may want to set it to episodes to keep all unplayed episodes. Because it sounds like he wants to ditch the ones that he's played already. Yes. Well, that's that's what I'm talking about is that that setting. But but if he's not syncing back from his iPod to okay. to his Mac, right, he right. won't he won't know about that. Right. So. Right. Uh, the thing I want to point out is that normally there there's a use default and then there's a customize. So either his default is not set up the way he'd like, or he may want to customize depending on the particular podcast. But no, you're right. It, it It's within iTunes and it doesn't happen on the device. Right. So. Right. And in order to get that to take effect, as I said, you've got to either manually or, or via schedule refresh all of your podcasts. And it sounds like he doesn't want to download more podcasts yet. And so that puts him at, in this odd situation, but option shift deletes handy, not just for Tyrone, but for everyone. If you, if you, it, a lot of times, if you want to clean stuff out of your iTunes library, the easiest thing to do is to create a smart playlist and then delete all the items from the playlist. But you have to know that secret handshake in order to do it. So option shift delete. That's my, uh, that's my feeling. Okay. All right. Uh, our first sponsor for this show is Circus Ponies Notebook at CircusPonies.com. Uh, very, very cool app. The idea behind it, John, is that, and you know this, John, because I've told you before and we've told all our listeners, uh, unless you're new. Tell me again. I will tell you again. It creates a white line notebook view on your Mac. And the cool thing is you can put anything you want into these. The idea is you'll create multiple notebooks for different subjects or topics or whatever. Uh, if you, you could have a notebook full of recipes and the cool thing is you don't just put text in there. You could pull a picture in or a link or maybe, uh, an audio, you could recorded some audio notes or you could put those in there too and bundle it all together and have, you know, a separate page for each recipe and one notebook for all of your recipes. You can pull in things and, augment them and annotate PDFs and put sticky notes in and all that good stuff. And of course you can type, then you could create a notebook for a project you're working on at the office or a class you're taking. You can search throughout an entire notebook using their multi decks, which allows you to search based on what you know about the information. So if you forget what you type, but you know what day you typed it, you can search based on a date and it'll pull up everything in that notebook that happened on that date or in that date range. The same is true if you tagged it or did something else. You can search by what you know, which is key. Then it gets even better. 
because there's notebook for the iPad and you can sync your notebooks back and forth between the iPad and the Mac. You can create or edit on the iPad while you're out and about, pull it back. Or if you've got all your recipes in a notebook and you want to put it on your iPad, so you've got it right there in the kitchen. Boom. No problem. Uh, and if you're going to bring your iPad in the kitchen, a Ziploc bag is a great thing. Big gallon Ziploc bag protects it and still lets you use the touchscreen. Uh, so Circus Pony's notebook for the Mac is uh, available as a free trial from CircusPonies.com. And then once you're hooked, it's $49.95 for a standard license and $29.95 for an academic notebook for the iPad, $29.99 at the App Store. And uh, if you've got an iPad, you know what the App Store is. CircusPonies.com. John, last week we talked about uh, a potential malware, I'll say, in show number 329. And uh, Dave wrote in, he says, I wanted to comment on the malware section of 329. The caller, Kevin, had an issue with something called Mac Defender. I wanted to mention that I also had a client who had Mac security, and that was the same malware from an unknown source. This was on Monday, only a day before I heard your show. Intego, uh, and I normally hesitate to mention Intego, John, because they, they stand up and scare everybody all the time. But, uh, but they actually produced an excellent video that shows exactly what you'll see if you get this virus. Uh, and the cool part, it, it, it's very interesting. It, it brings you to a website that looks like um, it's, you know, a Windows thing scanning your computer. If you hit the cancel button, that's when it the, the cancel button cancels nothing or appears it appears to cancel it. But really what you're doing is triggering a download of this uh, disk image to your Mac. And then, of course, once the disk image mounts, if your Mac is set to launch save files, it comes up and says, do you want to install? So uh, so that's how they did this. Is you, you're you are performing an action, but it's hitting that cancel button is the key to mm -hmm. uh, to trigger the download. So. Uh, so thanks, Dave, for sending that in. Hopefully, uh, hopefully this is short lived and isolated because I really it's like it, installing antivirus software on my Mac is against my religion, John. <sighs> you know, I'm going to break it out into two different types of antivirus, Dave. Okay. Move on here. But uh, to me, there are two major classes. There's one. And I think. Uh, Intego's falls into this class, which which I, I would agree with you makes me nervous is stuff that is active and that it's watching over your shoulder all the time. Right. Then I see stuff that I, I would consider more passive. Yep. That if you initiate a scan, then it will look now. It's, of course, not as effective, but it doesn't get in your way as much. Right. And I think I actually saw this mentioned on our uh, Facebook page. One of our folks mentioned, I think there's something called virus barrier, which I believe That's is Intego. more in the. Oh, it is them. Huh? OK. Uh huh. Huh. So I wonder if that if they have different products, because you know, I'll have to look here because I got something in the app store. But but uh, I thought there were two different classes. But but yeah, in general, they, they get in the way. And yeah, yeah, it's too bad. I, I think that the overriding issue, Dave, though, is user education. And we had a spirited discussion on the latest Mac roundtable about this. And uh, one of the folks on the panel used a well said something not so nice about users that do this, which uh, <laughs> classified them a certain way, which uh, uh, I would just say uneducated. Well, I, I mean, uneducated about viruses. Sure. But, you know, uh, here's the, the thing. Having that seen if this someone comes up, asks you asking you to do something. You should you, 
you should be cautious. And, and I think we mentioned it last time. You should be suspicious. If all of a sudden you get some, uh, an installer coming up saying, hey, uh, you know, it's time to. No, here's the one that I found. So, so I looked at my app store and uh, Virus Barrier uh, Express, I believe, is kind of the, uh, the, the lightweight one that they make. Okay. And from what I've seen, I, I've, I've used it. I haven't installed and I don't believe in installed anything that, that's sitting in the background. And, and I think there are a few others that are that are like that. All right. But but I'm with you. Yeah. The, the yeah. I mean, it slows you down. It can get in the way. I, I, I mentioned one that, you know, crashed my system when I tried to run it. So I hope we, uh, I, I think it calls for. And, and from what I've seen, a lot of people, including uh, us are doing this is to educate people that if you see an installer all of a sudden start up, you know, don't say yes. Yeah, the, the, the problem, if this continues, the problem could be or could turn into something like we saw on Windows for years and years, which is that the stuff's getting installed along with other things and you don't realize it. And then before you know it, your machine is full of, you know, either viruses or spyware, which is you know very similar, but not quite the same uh, or both. And it just turns it into a disaster. Uh so and and that's completely without you, the user, knowing that you've done anything to trigger the installation well, of this. And, well, and that's me, that's the definition of me, a true virus. Right. Well, it, yeah. To me, a virus is something that requires no user intervention. And right. actually, I believe Skype recently had something where yep. if you received an attachment. It would uh, what happened is the attachment was done properly and, and you accepted it. It would then compromise the root account on your machine. So even then, that was something suspicious. If all of a sudden, out of the blue, you get somebody sending you a file attachment and you accept it, or you're set to automatically accept it, again, that's something that's, you know, doesn't happen often. I mean, how many people randomly send you pictures on Skype or right. attachments? Right. I don't know. Right. In my situation, whenever I get one, it's somebody that I know. It's typically you or someone else on the TMO crew sure. that's sending an image or something like that. So I trust and I know who they are. But if I got you know, Foxy something, one, two, three, sending me an attachment. I'd be like, yeah, you know that, that I, I don't know who you are. Right. And you should be set. And I assume I haven't looked in detail, but there should be a setting saying, do not by default accept. Well, I think Skype does this. It yeah. says, you know, do you want to accept this attachment? And my answer would be no. Right. Uh, I mean, the other thing is that in Safari, there's the general and open safe files after downloading, which you may want to disable that because I think that that was the, core of some of these attacks is, is that you would get a disk image or a zip file or something and it would it would launch the installer and then most people would say oh well i better install this so right right yeah it's opened up a can of worms which you know i, I hope it closes very quickly uh you know and and this is this is very selfish because i just i just don't like running virus protection software but i also know that if you're you know in the windows world and it's been this way for a long time. You have no option. You have to run virus protection software that it's just hands down. No question about it. It's the first thing you put on a machine and it stinks that that that's how it is, but that's how it is. Mm -hmm. I hope we don't get there. Um, I, I, you know, I like to think that from what I know, uh, Mac OS 10 is less susceptible to these. I realize it's also been less of a target because of lower market share, but I, I also think it's, it's less susceptible. I mean, even this one, you've got to agree to several steps before this thing gets installed. I, I, I hope that, you know, hope we're, uh, like I said, I hope it's short lived. All right. Tom wrote. I've been thinking about upgrading my iPhone three 
to an iPhone 4. I wanted to wait on an iPhone 5, but my wife's BlackBerry isn't well, and she wants a new phone soon. My question is, when I sync the new phone to the computer, is just the apps going to transfer or will the data in the apps transfer too? For example, will the items on my to-do app and the items in my grocery app transfer or will I have to write them out and type them into the new iPhone? I'm sure there's something about this on Apple's website, but I sure couldn't find it. All right. Uh, yeah, the answer is yes. Uh, as long as you follow uh, these steps, and I've done this a couple of times, take your old iPhone and back it up. And if you sync it on your computer, that will back it up. Uh, and then when you plug the new iPhone in uh, to iTunes, you go through the you know setup process. And at an, some point early on in the process, it asks you, is this a new device or are you restoring it from an old device? And you can restore an iPhone four with the backup made from an iPhone three. And the beautiful part is all your settings and all that stuff just come right on through. No problem at all. And as we mentioned in the last show, if you uh, encrypt that backup in iTunes by checking that little box, well, then you also get your passwords uh, through. So very, very handy stuff. Uh, so yeah, uh, yes, it, it will work fine and shouldn't be a problem. John, have you, 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 well, no, you didn't, or did you, you did restore from your iPod touch when you got your iPhone or you started fresh? No, I, when I synced it for the first time, it did sync the apps that had been on the iPod touch and sync the ones that were appropriate for the iPhone. Okay. Uh, but you didn't restore from the backup of the, of the iPod touch when you were setting up your iPhone you didn't choose that. that no, option. no, no, no. Okay. Okay. No, I ran the activation, whatever it was. And I think at some point it said, oh, there's some apps here. It may have said to me, hey, would you like to sync the apps that are already in iTunes? And I, and I said, yeah, well, no, sure. it's not so much syncing the apps. It's the, it's the data itself. The, the apps right. aren't part of the restore, believe it or not. Um, it's just, it's the data that is, it's very, it's, it's interesting. In fact, uh, I, I just came across a cool uh, app for in the jailbreak store called data deposit. And it lets you take all of that data and back it up per app to like Dropbox or, or, or somewhere else. And the cool part is, you know, the author used the example. You could take like your, your high score list from a game on your iPhone and move it to your iPad. He said, you can take your angry birds data and move it back and forth and it'll, it'll work seamlessly or at least it <gasps> did for him, Ooh. which is now, which is pretty cool. Cause that's, you know, I mean, it, you know, it's fun. Right. So, uh, so there you go. Well, no, I like that because actually I haven't played it for a while, but that was one of the, the few apps that I bought. Mm -hmm. And my expectation was that when I synced it to one device and then the other, that it would bring over my play data. And it didn't. You'll have to jailbreak to do that, baby. Well, I think they're I think they're working on it, too. I think it, 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 it's a useful feature if you're a yeah. owner yeah. of the app and you have multiple iDevices. I think they would like it so that you could not have to start from the beginning. Right. I certainly didn't right. really enjoy starting from the beginning again. No, it stinks to have to start from the beginning. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's, uh, let's go to Jeffrey and Jeffrey probably opens up a can of worms here, but, uh, but we like that. Jeff says, I know you've touched on various forms of backups in various situations, but I'd love your thoughts on the best way to back up my photos. My question centers not so much around the backup as the organization preceding the backup and in what format to backup. My photo album transitioned from physical to electronic about the time my son came on the scene, and I'd like to be sure I have solid means of preserving 
that history. The relevant issues are that I have individual photos of various types, including JPEG and RAW, within and without, uh, within and outside of iPhoto, mostly within. And I've transitioned across several computers over the past 10 years or so, and sadly, still haven't centralized all the photos. Obviously, that's a part of this goal. I've heard you discuss iPhoto Library Manager and other applications, and I'm wondering if this is a good use for these. Should I put all the photos into a central library like iPhoto, then back up via the usual mechanisms, or perhaps export individual photos and save them that way? Feel This is the best part about his question. Feel free to pontificate ad lib. Uh, that's right. As if we... Uh, as if we would do anything else. That's right. Uh, so thanks, Jeff. Uh, John, you, you go ahead. I, I have some thoughts on this. I'm, I, I'm, I know you do. Well, I'll give you my initial thought, and this is what I've done. So I have probably for about 10 years now kept my photos, uh, digital photos in Apple programs. All right. So iPhoto. And then, of course, I recently migrated and that that was pretty smooth. Yep. Migrated over to Aperture. Right. I lost some stuff, but all the photos were retained. So I would say that's the first thing you want to do is back up that library file, which is actually a package, which is actually just a folder full of other folders, which includes your pictures. Multiple copies of your pictures, potentially. Right. Because if you make changes and then it has thumbnails and stuff like that. So, yeah. So there's there's your original stuff plus plus more. So so that'd be the first start, assuming you're going to stick with Apple for your photos. But the only thing I would suggest is that in addition to that, so iPhoto itself, if you highlight a bunch of photos, if you go into the library in the photo tab, you'll see all your photos and you could highlight them all. And one thing you may want to do is there's an export feature. And if I'm looking at it right now, so and you get a number of tabs because you can install plugins and all that fun stuff. But the first one is file export. Okay. And there are a number of options here. And what I would do is on occasion... So I would stick to, so so the first question is, what should I stick to as the format to, to preserve them in? And I think it's a safe thing to say that, the thing is, I don't do anything with RAW right now, but okay. I do JPEG. So, okay, sure. Uh, and, and JPEG has served my needs for 10 years, and I, I think I'm in the future. So one thing would be to select the photos that you want, you know, how you organize it is up to you. Uh, personally, what I do, at least in iPhoto, is I have albums and they are time, uh, month and year stamped and the name of the event. Uh, so one thing is you may want to just consider moving forward or moving back. You may want to key your albums to uh, to a month and a year for hmm. future sorting purposes. Now, how, okay. well, came, uh, how would you remember? So he's he's going to save these albums. Uh, how, how, how would you remember? How would you recommend he do that? So he's got them organized now. And I realize he asked more about the organization than the backup, but to make this, you know, a little bit more widespread here, how would you then back those up? What, what medium would you put them on? What, what process would you file? Medium. That's a good one. All right. Well, well, the first thing is that in file export, there are choices. So I'll give you that first. So, so file export photo of uh, a portion of iPhoto, there is kind. And I would probably go with original, which is the original format that it's in. Uh, you know, and I'll pick it right now here. Uh, or if you if they're all JPEGs and the other JPEGs, then you say JPEG and, and they have a JPEG quality menu, in which case I would say maximum. I would not degrade them. Size. You're going to you're going to degrade them if you convert them to JPEG as opposed to leaving them in original form. You oh, yeah, do yeah. you do right. risk losing some data or, or changing it. I mean, that that's part of JPEG is lossy, lossy compression. Right. So, yeah, no, I just I just wanted to get it out there. 
No, you're right. Well, potentially, because you can say do no compression. True. That's right. But normally, yeah. I mean, the point of JPEG is that it, it eliminates uh, what some may consider redundant data, and it makes right. it smaller right. than the original. Uh, but, you know, if you're going to export, at least in iPhoto, make sure that you choose the maximum quality so that you don't lose anything, size, full size. Um, so that's one thing. Okay. So is, what, is what? you may want to use an export. Now, as far as the naming, what I would do, because the thing is, and this came up uh, actually in the past, or I've had conversations with people, Aperture, uh, unfortunately, in its library section, isn't too smart about sorting by date. And as a matter of fact, it doesn't sort by date. In, in a certain tab. So what you may want to consider is when you name your albums or whatever unit you use or your folders, you may want to think about a strategy of using perhaps the year and then the month to sort them. Yep. Because if you sort them alphabetically, then the file system should sort them in some sort of order that makes some sort of sense. Right. Right. That's what I'm going to suggest. So for, uh, as far as the medium. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, that's a good one. I would, I would say, you know, our, our recurring theme of avoiding a single point of failure is, you know, heck, maybe Dropbox would be nice. Um, certainly a hard drive. I'd, I, I would discourage or be careful of optical medium because as, as you may or may not know, Dave, uh, opto or anyone, optical mediums will degrade. Right. Uh, right. Once mediums tend to have longer lifespan, rewritable tend to have shorter lifespan. So I would say the, the right once mediums could be on the order of a hundred years or at least in the high tens, whereas the rewritable media from what I've heard tend to be on the order of tens of years. Right. Because the dies and, and whatever break down. Sense. I mean, the benefit is that they're rewritable. The, the bad news is that they're not going to last this long. So, uh, and I'll find an article that, that goes in more detail about this, but keep that in mind. Optical media will degrade uh, quicker. Well, and remember it, hard, hard drives, we we learned something right. interesting a number of years ago. Uh, I think in having a similar discussion, where what we learned was that hard drives, it, if they're spinning, they'll retain their data uh, unless there's some air, you know damage to the disk, right? But uh, but a hard drive on the shelf for more than about I think it was about six months will start to be impacted by the Earth's magnetic field. And yes. if it's not spun up every, you know, on a regular basis, uh, it will, the data will start to shift. You know, zeros may become ones and ones sure, may become sure. zeros and, uh, or and cosmic rays or, well, I don't think it's cosmic rays. I don't, I don't think putting a tinfoil hat over your hard drive is going to help. Oh, no, no. But I, I think cosmic rays could, uh, not being serious, but. Oh, okay. All right. Now, now here's another, you may think this is an offbeat off the wall or over the wall or under the wall suggestion. And through the woods. Here's another. If you have some particularly valuable photos, you may want to kick it old school and actually print them. Hmm. Do not rule out physical medium as an archive. Right. Right. And, you know, you can. There are some documents, uh, you know, from hundreds or thousands of years ago, if preserved properly. And that's the only thing I'll bring up. Sure. Like an our buddy who I haven't, I haven't seen in a while, Wes uh, would uh, would uh, collect uh, or, or uh, comic book collectors, right? Right. You know, some of them are tens of years old. Now, if you just leave them sitting on a table somewhere in the sunlight, yeah, they're going to fall apart. But if you store them properly, uh, maybe in a you know humid room with proper humidity inside a good uh, uh, you know a baggie or something like that. So, so things that are very valuable. So, number one, have multiple 
yeah. uh, save options. Number two, for valuable photos, you may want to print them out, you know, get some nice photo paper, get some, you know, decent ink or color laser. I prefer ink myself. Yeah. Ink's going to look better than laser for photos for sure. Yeah. I think, and I think it'll last longer. Um, if you get some quality yeah. ink, I, I would actually recommend going instead of driving yourself crazy, trying to print them. You can find, uh, my, my daughter just sent a bunch of stuff to shutter shutterfly and, uh, yeah, was, they, they've always got deals and, and things that are pretty cheap. And so she just uploaded a bunch of pictures. And there were a couple, one that I had actually taken on my iPhone. I guess it was my iPhone four last summer. And, uh, I, I couldn't believe it, how great it looked. Uh, we, it was an outdoor shot. It was well lit, you know, with natural light and all that stuff. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, but yeah, Shutterfly does a good job and, and probably I'm not sure that it's any more expensive than printing on your own and buying ink and all the paper and all that stuff. Shutterfly can buy that stuff in much greater quantities. So, I mean, it's worth, it's worth checking it out and it's, and Shutter, there's more than just Shutterfly. Of course, I just have them on the mind because mm-hmm. we just ordered a bunch from there. So, all right. Cool. All right. Let's, uh, where are we time-wise here? Yeah. You know what? I want to talk about our second sponsor for this show. Uh, it is a relatively new sponsor and that is Stitcher. Stitcher is, it's pretty darn cool. Stitcher is an app for your iOS device, either your iPad, your iPhone or your iPod. And it lets you listen to episodes of podcasts. Mac geek app, of course is in there. Uh, on the go, uh, you don't have to sync with your computer. You don't have to download. You don't have to wait for anything. Uh, as long as you've got connection, you just press the button and off you go. And the best part is the app is free. Uh, so you can go to Stitcher. Uh, when you install, it asks you for if you have a promo code. Now, something very cool happens here. You can use our promo code, which is MGG. And... It does two things. Number one, it will automatically add Mac Geek Gab to your Stitcher uh, right there in the in the device. So you don't have to go and search us out. We'll be right there. And number two, it enters you into a drawing to win an iPad, too. So uh, so a little incentive there, but uh, but they're making it easier for you anyway. So uh, you can visit it on the Web at Stitcher dot com slash MGG. But uh, but really, your best bet is is to just go and download it uh, from the App Store because because uh, that's going to get you there. And then just don't forget that coupon or the uh, promo code MGG. So uh, and they have them for uh, for iOS and Android. Uh, so, you know, and I maybe even Blackberry. I don't have that in my notes that they gave me here. But for some reason, I seem to remember Blackberry, but certainly iPhone and Android uh, and the promo code works on both. So they are they are platform agnostic as uh, as all good service companies should be. Stitcher.com slash MGG. That's good stuff. I did it. You did it. Did, yeah, did you install it? Yeah. I did. It was it was seamless. Yeah. They asked for the promo code. It, it downloaded the app on my iPhone. And and sure enough, Mac Geek App was right there. Yeah. Yeah. So I was able to bask in the glory of listening to myself. And you were able to press <laughs> and play and it just worked, right? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very seamless. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I tried it out. It's, it's on my iPhone and uh, I'll have to add a few other podcasts, I guess. Cool. Yeah. It makes, it really does make life simple. So. It's good stuff. Uh, and we appreciate the sponsorship. All right. Now, let's see. Uh, we've got a good one to pass back and forth a little bit here. John David writes, yes. I'm traveling to Europe this summer and plan to take a lot of pictures. 
The ideal scenario is that I leave my MacBook at home and travel with my iPad and DSLR camera. I want a solution that allows for ease of storage that minimizes the chance of loss. I figure a portable hard drive is out as there is no way to transfer the files from the camera to the hard drive. This leaves me with two options. Buy a bunch of SD cards and hope I don't lose any or purchase an iFi card as I will have access to Wi-Fi. I'd appreciate your thoughts on this. All right, John, go ahead. You, uh, you're Mr. iFi, so let's start there and, uh, and see, where, see where our path weaves us. Well, let's break down this question. Okay. I think it has a number of aspects to it. So you certainly heard of the iFi. So, uh-huh. so, but but let's let's step back and let's assume, let's, make, let's, let's make sure we explain what the iFi is at some point here too. Don't right. Let's but let's start from the beginning. Yeah. Okay. So what he has is a digital camera with an SD memory card, right, and an iPad, right. And he has these two devices, and he would like to do photo and, management, and he has Wi-Fi so, access, and he has Wi-Fi access. So with all of these devices, can he do anything? And my answer would be no. As far as photo management. Beyond storing them on an SD card and dealing with them later. Okay. Can we agree on that as yeah, a starting point? We, we can. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Now, step one, I'm going to say is, well, you could purchase a hardware device. So let's start there. And now we have one proposed, but I'm going to go, go to one that, if you don't mind me referring to the past here a little bit, <laughs> but in our pre-show discussion. So there is a device that can be used to allow you to, use your photos with your iPad. And I think that's a good place to start because I think that's the very basic and probably the least expensive. So I, I, I want to address this from a number of angles. One yeah. is cost and right. another is redundancy. Right. And I think the first one is that we'll start with, and maybe I'll hand it to you because I think you have, you've actually used this Dave, but Apple offers the uh, camera connection kit. Yep. It's cool. So this camera connection kit is called the iPad. You, do you have it? Yes. Oh, yes, yeah. I do. Okay. Oh, yeah. So you know more about it, but I, I think that's a good place to start because I think one, I think it's the least expensive option, Yep. but, but it, it, it's a place to start. If, if you want to take photos from a camera and put them into the iPad. So go. Yeah, it, it, it does. It, it does a lot more than that too. So the camera connection kit really is two pieces uh, of hardware. One is a, dock connector with an SD card slot on the other side. So you plug into your dock connector, you plug the SD card in, and this will work on an, an iPhone too. It's not just limited to the iPad. Uh, you plug that in and then you can import photos from whatever's on the SD card into your iDevice and then use them in any app that can see your photo library. And there are tons, right? So you could do your photo management there. Uh, and we'll talk about a couple of the apps in a little bit. But the other piece to the camera connection kit is a dock connector to USB port. And the reason for this is if you don't have if your camera uses some other type of medium, you know, you might need to get a USB based uh, card reader or whatever. And you can plug that in and that works. But it also works to plug in keyboards and uh, and various other devices. So it, it can be pretty cool. And you can also connect using a USB to an other dock connector and essentially making a two dock connector on, you know, one dock connector on either end, you can plug an iPhone into an iPad and slurp the photos from the iPhone into the iPad uh, that way. So huh. yeah, it's, okay. it's one of the coolest things. It's like 30 bucks from the Apple store. When it came out, you couldn't find them because everybody went nuts to get them. Right. right. Uh, but, but they, you know, it's it, for 30 bucks. It, it is so useful. So there you go. Now, you know, I think, I think I'm going to get one because, 
But now let's kick it back. So okay. that is certainly, uh, I think, the least expensive. Yeah, and you could totally it's thirty bucks, right? Yeah, and you could totally, you know, unless you're taking a lot of pictures in raw format, uh, which you might right. be with a DSLR. But you know, I it, 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 unless you're using raw, I can't imagine that you're going to fill up, you know, even even five gigs over a, a vacation, right? So you could offload them to your your iPad, and then at least that way you've got them on your SD card and your iPad, right? And you know, okay. two points. So, so I'm with you. So that's step one. Yep. Now, then let's go to the next option. So okay. the next option, as he pointed out, is the iFi card. Right. And what is the iFi card? I'm going to tell you what it is. Uh, you probably know. <laughs> the iFi card is an SD card. So fortunately, he's using an SD card. They do not make one for CF or other formats. It's just okay. SD. Okay. But it's a SD memory card that also has a little Wi-Fi radio in it. And what does this buy you? It buys you a whole bunch of things. And, and you know, I got to say I'm a big fan of them because they have evolved this product over time to do all sorts of different things. You know, and they've the, got they're, they've got no competition and yet they continue to innovate like they do have competition to beat. I, I think they have limited competition. Maybe. There are some yeah. camera vendors who attempt to put Wi-Fi in their cameras. Right. But they all fall very short of the functionality that, that the iFi offers. So I think they're the top of their game. And yeah, they keep innovating. And I think they're, they're way ahead of everybody else. And I think some camera vendors actually are including uh, the iFi card just because it's so great. And, and I've, I've used it for it. So here's to, to talk about our discussion about ways to get photos from your camera into your iDevice. They just introduced the new feature, which is in the only in the X2 series of their cards, which is the latest release of their card. Okay. And what they have is something called direct mode. And it's, I would say, equivalent to the camera connection kit in that what what it does is instead of it being a physical device that you plug into your iPad or your iDevice, it uses the Wi-Fi radio in your iDevice and makes it a little baby access point. And basically what happens is if you set up both your iDevice and the iFi card, this is perhaps the only downside is that you need to configure the iFi card with a machine using a USB adapter. Okay. Okay. So you have to set it up and say, okay, enable what's called direct mode. Okay. On the card. Uh, though I think the, 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 the app, uh, their app on the iDevice, I think will also let you do that. Uh, but keep in mind for, for doing some things with the iFi card, you do need a computer with a USB port, uh, so you plug the SD card and then you use their iFi manager software to, to perform some functions. So cool. that I think is maybe the only downside. But what it does is once you take the pictures on your SD uh, uh, on the iFi enabled camera and your iDevice is available, it pushes them in. So, so it's the equivalent of sucking them out using the camera connection kit. And it appears in the same place. It appears in the camera roll. Yep. Which is the, the place that you normally keep your photos in the iDevice. And they're not downgraded or anything they're they're the full resolution photos sure and it cool. puts them in there and the other thing is they offer and, and then i want to move to maybe perhaps a little redundancy so so that's the first place to start yep but then uh, there's the matter of applications that could do something beyond yep uh beyond that and i'm going to start with the iFi application okay and i won't go into all the details but they also offer an application that you come around on your device and it can let you do a number of things. One of which, well, you know, let me step I back. Imagine you would have to run the app in order to get the pictures from the iFi to the iPhone. You have to run some kind of app. It's not just going to, yeah, well, yes, right. you do. But if it's set up properly, then it, it, it will, 
uh, kind of in the background. This, oh, this I will see. Happen. Got it. Okay. But here's the other okay. thing. So, so let me take a little tangent. The other mode you can put the iFi card into. So one is, for the sake of redundancy, you can push the photos from the iFi card into the iDevice. Right. That's running the iFi software or the iFi uh, app. App. The other thing that you can do, and this is what I think is even a little bit cooler that goes beyond the connection kit is the iFi card. Also, if it's in within reach of an iFi access point or, or Wi-Fi access point, or uh, a lot of places will have, now I'm not sure about the availability in Europe, but if you set it up beforehand to go to uh, uh, an access point, it can upload photos straight from your camera to a huge number of Right. Sites, Flickr, YouTube, uh, the, some are photo only, some are photo and movie, some are movie only. But you can set up the iFi card. So and you can also tag the photos depending how you set up the iFi card. You can say, OK, photos that I explicitly mark as ones I like to upload will get uploaded as long as you're near either uh, open access point or one that you've configured beforehand. We'll upload them straight to Flickr, to mobile me. To, to all these services. So I think that's kind of cool now. It, and it, it, it kind of gets you that redundancy is that right. it's not only on the card, but then it could be on Flickr or mobile me. And those are the services that I used. And then it's also available to people who may want to either you by using a browser or other people could then see your photos immediately. The only caveat is you have to be near an access point. And, but all of this requires an iFi card. Yes. Yes. Got it. Got it. Okay. Uh, so, I, I, I kind of research this from a different standpoint because I don't use an iFi card, but uh, but I do have an iPad. But I I was I still didn't have the right answer. So I asked on Twitter this morning what people recommended to sync photos or offload photos from my from my iDevice to some other source. Now, what would be perfect would be to have a hard drive that I could plug into my iPhone and uh you know, just dump her on my iPad and dump pictures off to, but Apple doesn't, it doesn't work that way. So at least not yet. So you can't do that. But everybody recommended an app called PhotoSync, which I immediately downloaded. I think it was like two bucks or something. And it's awesome. You, it, it will see your camera library and all of your albums and you can tell it, look, I want to sync my photos to, well, you can sync them to your Mac or your Windows machine if you have one of those. Now, David doesn't because that's kind of his goal here is to not travel with that. But you can run a free app on those that will allow you to sync and it'll pump right into iPhoto on your Mac and, and you know, be as though you plugged in and, and synced from that standpoint. It also will upload to Dropbox. It'll upload to Flickr or it'll upload to an FTP server. If you happen to have a hosting account somewhere and you can probably set up S three, if you want it as well too. The cool part is because there's other apps that do that, including Dropbox's own app and you don't have to pay two bucks yes. for it. But I verified that this, this morning. Yeah. That the Dropbox Dropbox app does see the photos and, and I tried mm-hmm. this. So that's uh, the problem. So yeah, definitely the pro- get yourself a Dropbox account if you don't have one already. Right. And you can put your photos up in the cloud, which the, uh, the problem with doing it via Dropbox or really any of the other apps that would do this mm-hmm. is, is that they don't remember what you've done before. PhotoSync does. <laughs> right. So, you know, you can tell PhotoSync, go and sync everything that you haven't yet synced and boom, it goes up. So you could use the camera connection kit from Apple. So 30 bucks, two bucks for PhotoSync and 32 bucks later, David, you've got camera to SD card 
to your iPad. You can manage there, delete. You can even manipulate with, you know, one of the plethora of photo apps that are out there. Photoshop Express is even free on the iPad. Right. And uh, and you can mess around with all that. Get the pictures you want. Delete the ones you don't want. And then tell PhotoSync, yep, go ahead and blast them all up to the cloud. And when you do the same thing the next day, you don't have to worry about it. It remembers which ones you've synced and which ones you haven't. So uh, now, of course, depending on how much space you're using, you may also be stuck. You know, you've got to ha- you, you've got to have the storage in the cloud. And of course, you can buy it from Dropbox if you don't get enough out of the game. So, yeah, that that would be my one concern is that the what's the I mean, I think right now, I mean, the iFi x2 that i have is an 8 gig card mm-hmm. and i think the the ipad is uh, what are they up to now what, what can you 16 32 or 64 depending oh. on oh okay how much you get all yeah. right so if he's got the big boy yeah um ipad then that that'd be more than sufficient to uh, assuming he's not full of apps or podcasts or something right well and again you know as uh, i had this conversation with jeff gamut earlier and he reminded me if if they're shooting raw that that can, right, right. you know, that can change things very, very quickly in the space uh, arena. But my guess is if you're doing that, it, you're not trying to do this. Uh, and, and it would be, you know, it's just you're not going to upload all that to the cloud necessarily. Uh, you could just might take a while. So. Uh, yeah. And the final thing that I like about the iFi is that they have a feature w- which I believe would work in this scenario. Yep. Called endless memory. You're like, hmm. Oh, because it because it keeps uploading and and then wiping itself out to make room pretty for more much pictures. you when you use when you run their utility configure the card and i have mine set at 50 percent. yeah exactly okay say, okay once you've synced if there's less than this threshold of space available yeah then make it available to me cool so in theory as long as you sync on a regular basis or, or take the photos out of the iFi card and put them somewhere right. then you will never run into the situation where because that's a I've had that happen once or twice and that's certainly not pleasant because okay. especially at spur of the moment you don't want to be figuring how to delete <laughs> photos from your your SD card right unless you know the other thing he mentioned you know I, I would I would do yeah I, I would have multiple options I, I think they're relatively inexpensive I, I would carry a couple with you yeah, have definitely. the iFi as the primary, yeah. but have a couple of backup SD cards just in case. So, so I've got I've got two other pieces of hardware that I found in my oh, in my yeah. search oh, here. These are cool. Yeah, you know I love these. They're uh, you know you're going to be spending money, right? But but I hadn't even uh, known these were out here. I, I was just looking at the SD card itself. So go, the, these are very cool. So I started thinking, okay, you know what this guy in essence wants to do is take something from an SD card and save it to a hard drive. And the only way I knew how to do this is with a computer. And of course, uh, that is not true. There are devices that will allow you to take exactly that, an SD card and copy it to a hard drive. Uh, Hypershop.com has a device they call the color space, and it will allow you to navigate through an SD card that you plugged in and save it off to its internal hard drive. It's got a little screen. Uh, you know, little, you know, shuttle controls and they, they run anywhere from, uh, uh, you know, the case alone, which you then have to put your own hard drive in is 250 bucks. And then of course you can put drives in and, you know, one with a, a 500 gig drive is 500 bucks, a 250 gig drive, I think is about 400. So, uh, you know, you, you can, you can do that. So that's, that's one option. It's not cheap, but it's an option and it keeps it portable for you. The other one, uh, and I'll credit Adam Christensen, host of the MacCast, for pointing this out to me, is a device called AirStash. And what this is, is it's a USB flash drive with a built-in Wi-Fi access point, 
And then it's got a little bit of software on there that also lets it be a media streamer, like a media server. And what's cool is, yes, it's got the flash drive in there. So you can you can offload things from your iPod to it because you can connect to it and and save things out. So uh, it, you know, it acts as additional storage for your, your iPod because it's doing it Wi-Fi. You're not trying to do it USB in the lap and you just send it off and you're good to go. So uh, very cool stuff that, that that's at airstash.com and it's a hundred bucks. So uh, I, I think, you know, that's it. And then, then there's the, the app and you're good to go. So pretty cool. And you plug in your card and off you go. So. Very, very, uh, thank you for asking that question, David. This is, this is actually a topic we've sort of been dancing around a little bit. And we've even had uh, a question in our, in our old queue here about using the iPad to store and manage photos. And you today finally pushed us down this path. So uh, John, it was actually you, you took the question and answered the first part. And I thought, all right, it's time to get the full yeah. answer. It's good. It was good. Well, because I was, yeah, centered on, on the iFi. Well, because I'm an iFi type of guy. Because you're that kind of guy. That's now, of course, how, that's how David followed here. up. Now, the thing is, David followed up, and I don't know how to answer this, but he said, whose advice should I take, uh, <laughs> you know, mine or yours? And my, my humble opinion is both. <laughs> both. That's right. No, we're going to leave it to David. Da- David can make his own decision about the level of redundancy and how much he wants to spend. And I think he said he doesn't want to spend a lot of money. So, right. Uh, but David, let us know what you come up with. Uh, the, the, you know, the only thing in my back of my mind, Dave, is... Is Wi-Fi in Europe any different? Is he going to run into any difficulties over there? No, no, he won't. Okay, they have they a couple. The extra, same, they use the same frequencies. Okay. Yeah, they have a couple extra channels available to him over there, but uh, but our devices will usually connect to him. So, okay, I know for phones and stuff, you're definitely that the, there's there's problems. Well, no, not necessarily. No, certain phones there are problems. Yeah, like right, CDMA. right, right. Yeah, no, Wi-Fi is all the same. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah, that was a good one. I'm glad, I'm glad we cracked that one open. Uh, you know, uh, two shows ago, or or three shows by number, uh, in 328, we were talking about repairing permissions and how often you should do it. And Wesson wrote in, he says, uh, you know, I back up my main hard drive every night with Super Duper. One of the benefits is that disk permissions are repaired on the backed up drive during the process. And he's right. It does. It's, it does a, a permissions repair before... Um, before completing the backup. So, uh, so, uh, you know, there you go. You get your permissions repaired every day using super duper. I don't know if carbon copy cloner does that as well, but, uh, I, I, I definitely know that super duper does, which is good. Mm. I like that. Tyrone's question earlier mentioned that it was his second call this week. And indeed it is because here's his first. Hey, Don and Dave, this is Tyrone from Hiram, Georgia. I called a couple of years ago. I had a, I encourage everybody to get Apple Care because I just got an iMac for free. Well, I'm another recipient of Apple's largest, and I'm getting a MacBook Pro to replace my three and a half year old MacBook Pro for free. Yeah, warranty That's awesome. expired six months ago. They're still going to give me one. Anyway, um, I want to ask you, um, but I'm, I'm trying to do it the right way. I'm going to reinstall all my software instead of going from my Time Machine backup or my clone. I'm going to reinstall everything, but I want to carry over my email, my address book, my iPhoto library, library, and my iTunes library. Those are the four things I want to bring over. I don't want to recreate those, especially all my email addresses and all that stuff and all my address book. I'll install everything else because nothing else has a library. You know, I'll pull over my documents. But anyway, um, is there a standard 
document anywhere that you know of that says, okay, you want to you want to carry oh in my um keychain my uh keychain access too. I want to grab that as well. Um, so I don't have to go through and rebuild that. But those are the things I want to carry over from the old machine to the new. And again, I have a clone backup of the old machine as well as my time machine backups. Um, but is there a standard document somewhere that just says, okay, you want to move your uh, your email uh, database? Here's how you do it. You want to move your um, your iTunes? Here's where it is. You want to move your you know address book? You know and iPhoto. Those are the four things I really don't want to rebuild those libraries from scratch. So if you guys could uh, just tell us what files and the hierarchy I need to grab from my clone, I guess, and drag over, I would so that I don't have to redo all my passwords and all that good stuff. Would really appreciate it. Keep up the good work, guys. Take care. This is where you cut me off if you need. All right, and you are cut off. All right. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna answer your question, Tyrone. I'm gonna answer his question. I'm gonna answer his question because he wants to know how to how, where to find this stuff, and it is good. But didn't he say the right way to did? Did I hear him say that at some point? We're gonna get to that. We're going to get to all that. All right. All right. All right. I, I, I will defer to you. Okay. So uh, all of this stuff is going to be found in your home folder. Uh, for mail, it's in a weird spot. It's in home, library, application support, mail. Did I get that right, John? Is that, right? is that where mail is? I, you know, as I'm saying it out loud, I have this fear that I've screwed something up. No, it's not in application support mail. It's in home, library, mail. Uh, I had it written down wrong. Uh, so home library mail and then contact your address book is in home library application support address book. Uh, the problem with that is there are a lot of apps that will maintain open access to your address book. So if you can on the old machine first go into address book, go into file export and make an address book archive that you can then import in to a live running address book, as opposed to going in the background and changing the file. Uh, that would be better. But if you can't do this and then at, after certainly these first three, you're going to want to reboot Keychains is home library Keychains, and you just move the contents over. iPhoto is in home pictures, iPhoto library and iTunes is in home music iTunes. Unless you've moved the location of all these and then, you know, you're on your own, buddy. But uh, but that that's where the stuff is by default. And you can just copy it over. Just make sure, first and foremost, no apps are running. None. Not even. Not, don't just quit the apps that you think matter. Quit all apps. Uh, copy this data over. And then as soon as the copy's done, reboot. And uh, and you should be OK. But, you know, something interesting. And, and John, you alluded to this a little bit doing this the right way. Uh I fear I, I get why you might want to do this, right? You, you don't want to inherit all the old cruft and all the old preferences and all of that stuff. But here's the thing. Even as you were leaving your message, Tyrone, you said, okay, I want to do mail and contacts and iPhoto and iTunes. And then when you listed it again, you said, oh yeah. And my keychain. don't want to lose my keychain. Okay. What else did you forget? Right. You know, you, you came up with four. Now there's five. So you're 25% more already. Uh, you know, how many more things are there going to be that you think, oh, yeah, I got to go get that. Oh, yeah, I got to go get that. And that's why Apple created the migration assistant. And I think that's where you were going with your uh, let's do this the right way, John. Yes. 
Uh, but I'm going to say is that migration assistance. So yeah, so I was, uh, I'm not going to give him a fish shake because I don't think he deserves it. I'll, maybe a finger wag <laughs> because to me, circum, uh, but no, I'm, I'm looking out for Tyrone because I want to save him time and frustration. That's right. Number one, I want to save him time of fiddling with it. Like you said, to figure out all the things that you need to move over and all the places that the stuff could reside. And the thing is, for a lot of things, it's pretty straightforward. As you pointed out, Dave, it may all be in your iTunes folder or this folder or that folder. But a lot of times there's little bits scattered about. Yeah. And if you don't get one of them, then you're going to be spending more of your valuable time figuring out what went wrong. Yep. So, I mean, that's why they made Migration Assistant for the most part. It, hey, it, I would like to hear from people. You know, we, we talk about how Migration Assistant has the potential to bring over what we'll commonly refer to as cruft, right? And, but I, you know, I've used migration assistant a bunch, John, you have too. It's almost gotten to the point where I don't even consider another option. How many of you have actually experienced something where you say, oh man, migration assistant brought, you know, X problem over to my Mac and it caused me all kinds of grief. I, I just, I know it's possible and I know we talk about it and acknowledge it, but I don't, know that I've heard of any problems like this, especially in recent years. So if you have one, I'd be, I, I, I'm curious, send it in. We'll, we'll share the stories. What I will suggest is that migration assistant does have an option looking in surprise knowledge base article HT four, four, one, three, how to use migration assistant to transfer files from another Mac. There is a section where you can specify what user directories you would like to bring over. Yeah. You know, and there's desktop documents, downloads, movies, music, pictures, blah, blah. You may want to exclude some of those. Like, for example, downloads. You probably don't need what's in right. there. Right. Documents. Uh, it depends. Music, I think, would cover your iTunes stuff when we bring over what you need. Pictures would cover. Assuming that you go with what applications recommend as far as storing this data. So, so you may want to consider using Migration Assistant, but just digging in a little deeper and excluding the things that you but yeah. still, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Though I got to say, when I migrated from the G5 to the Mini, it did bring over some cruft because it was also a Motorola machine. Okay. So it didn't, it, it was more an annoyance when I looked through the console that it was trying to load stuff that was PowerPC and just didn't work. And it didn't hurt the system. It didn't crash violently. It just was stuff where it said, oh, I don't know what this is. I, I don't really like it, so I'm not going to run it. Or I can't find a library that does this or that. So it was more an annoyance than, than a showstopper. Sure. So, so, so I'm with you is, I, I don't know of any, you know, I told you I helped my mom also go from a Motorola machine to a Intel MacBook. Right. And everything went swimmingly. And actually, she was shocked. She's like, it looks the same. I'm like, yeah, that's that's how it works. That's, that's the point. Her desktop was the same. All the documents were where they were. It was a continuous user experience. Right. And yeah. So, so I'm with you. I, I, I honestly would like to hear from people that have had a bad experience using migration assistant and, and what if anything happened that, that ruined your day or, or you, you didn't like about, yeah, about yeah. the tool. Exactly. You know, we, uh, we mentioned that uh, you, we want you to send these things in, but we didn't tell you where to send them. So you can send to feedback at MacGeekCap.com. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Was I too definitive about that, John? <laughs> well, I think you want to slow it down and maybe say feedback at com, Or maybe even 
feedback at MacGeekab.com. <laughs> or 206-666-GEEK, which is 4335. You can contact us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash MacGeekab. Uh, we've actually been answering some questions there. And uh, and it's nice because yeah. it provides a little public discussion. The Mac Geek App forums, I think, are still a better place for it because you can sort all the uh, the problems and and you can see the topics. <laughs> it, it works out really well, actually. It's it it works out way better than than I ever expected. It's uh, it's a great place, and we've got a killer community. Those of you that are out there, not just asking questions but answering questions. So there's the Mac Geek App forums too, uh, which uh, is good Skype, stuff. Skype, right? Yeah, you can send in a question with Skype. That's right. Skype, uh, Mac Keycab. It's not Skype. Don't Skype it to Skype. That won't help anyone. No. Uh, but if you Skype it to Mac Keycab, it'll help you and maybe other listeners too. So that's cool. And uh, iTunes comments always appreciated. Appreciated. Yeah. All right. Uh, we have questions from at least one, if not two, Scots, uh, and we will address the first one here and see where we go, and maybe we'll go on to the next. Scott writes. Is there an easy to use encryption program for the Mac that works along the lines of something like I simply right click a file, select encrypt, enter a password, and then right click a file, select decrypt and type the password. I know I can use tools like disk utility and TrueCrypt, but I don't want all the additional steps of having to create an encrypted disk image. I just want to de- encrypt ad hoc files on the fly. Is there such a tool, John? The first suggestion that I had was that there is a tool and the price is right, Dave. It's free. Here's the downside though. It didn't quite meet his, meet his expectations, but I thought I'd give it a shot. So if you go to the terminal, there's zip. Okay. You know yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. Our old friend zip. Well, zip has, if you do zip from the terminal, the format of the command is as follows zip space destination file name in in that what you want the encrypted file to be called then a space and the source file name assuming you're in the the directory with that source file name space dash e what is dash e encrypt and what it does is ask for a password and that is your encryption key Uh, so i offered that up cool and uh unzip of course is the complement of that where if you say unzip and a file is encrypted it'll say well dude what's the password so that met his needs for encrypting but he you said it, well you mean the it, m- it meets his needs it could meet could meet his, his needs. needs okay then he said well the person i'm dealing with is not very technical and i don't want to go in the terminal i'll assume they're on the mac so all right had to dig a little deeper and so i dug a little deeper and i found a utility called meo no, no i'm not uh, i haven't really used this a lot but i did find something it's in the apple download section so okay. i'll assume that it's it's legitimate well he was asking for two things you know i yeah. he said i'd be willing to pay for something but I, i'd like something free well i i assumed he'd like something free sure. so some call meo file encryption for mac 1.11 okay uh it's dated 2009 it's freeware i checked it out very basically it uses triple des or blowfish as the encryption algorithms which are not the greatest but i think good enough uh you want to pick a good passphrase or password for the file sure. so i suggested that but i would say for something commercial dave uh stuff it i think oh yeah oh, i forgot all stuff about it is stuff out there it. and they've well, got stuff it is still out there now they yeah. have their proprietary format but they also deal with zip zip files and they do offer encrypted archives 
So uh, I think the thing is, I said to him, I, I, I believe when I wrote back, uh, what is it? So it's, uh, and I think he's, he's over in the UK or, well, I'm not going to get in the whole mess of what the UK is, but he's, he's across the pond. Let, okay. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And, uh, and it's $30 US. So, okay. it, and he said he's will, willing to pay something. So if it's worth him, worth it for him to pay $30, then I think stuff, it would be the best commercial option that would offer encrypted file services. And from what I saw, it's cross platform too. So I assume the person on the other end is Mac, but if they're not, if they're PC, then, then this would also be a good solution. So that's, that's what I had to offer. So would there also be uh, the option of perhaps creating an automator action that you could drop a file onto that then performed this zip operation? So you don't have to go to the finder. And if you can do that, then you could also add it to the, um, to the, uh, the, the, the action, the folder actions folder, you know, and, and, that, and, you know, you're good to go. Right. I mean, I think you could that do is this. An awesome suggestion. And, and I'm, I'm looking forward to what you have, what you're going to put together. It's, it really wouldn't be that difficult. Right. I mean, you take the input file. Oh, oh. Okay. 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 And then okay. Uh, next show, I want to see what you came up with. Okay. Well, and then, it, and then you, you just, just kind of dug yourself a hole here. You, know? you run it into the terminal and that's it. And you just run a, a command line <sighs> script using your zip thing and it would work. All right. I'm going to try you this. Because, yes. Okay. Come on, man. All right. <laughs> it, it didn't, it, it, it didn't appear to be as straightforward as I thought doing it either through automator or Apple script. Huh? So that's all I'll say. Okay. Yeah, no, but you're you're the smart one here. You you you, you know you you you, you <laughs> no me, try you? it, but it, it wasn't as straightforward. I thought there would be a service in Automator that would make this easy. No, and no, either I missed to, it. You'd have to do it where you where you pipe it out to a terminal command. Yeah, and I, I couldn't find something in a cursory examination of okay. Automator or Apple Script that would make this something I could do in you know five minutes. Yeah, so. I think it's I think it is a five minute thing. I'll have to mess with okay. it, but yeah, I think it. it's pretty easy. Well, yeah. I also found that they were kind of questionable. I mean, I, I wasn't sure where they came from, but I did see some people that had put together mm. either Apple scripts or automator actions that did this, but, but none of them were. Oh, you look at the uh, script and see what it, see what it does. Yeah, I did, but still, you know, I didn't look uh, through it. And I, I didn't want to recommend a, uh, like one was from like Jolly Roger and I'm like, Oh, oh that doesn't sound very good. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, for those who don't know, but Jolly Roger is a pi- I, yeah, I would not, pirate. I would not use a encryption application from someone who who whose name is Jolly Roger. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I, yeah. But no, no, I try I not thought, to judge a book by its cover. But <laughs> no, I thought it would, uh, it, it would be great. I, I thought I would find an automator action saying pipe yeah. to terminal command, and I, I I couldn't find it. Maybe, maybe I missed it. So. Oh no! Go for it, man. Oh no! So it's there's there's easy. your homework. There's your homework. Oh, there is, but there is an automator action to to run the terminal, or maybe you just do Apple Script, right? I mean that that's probably the way well, to go, do go. it. Go, yeah. I'm yeah. telling you, man. Next show. I think free, I think there's next, pretty next easy free way. show. All right. That's what I thought. I'm saying, you know, you're the smart one. <laughs> uh, let's see. Terminal <laughs> command with kidding. automator. Right. I mean, it's it's I thought it was pretty straightforward. I'm pulling up automator here to see if I can I can do this I on know. the fly. Oh, let's not do it. Oh, come on. All right. Well, you know, there's I mean, it's just it's isn't there a run run shell script action? I, I thought there would be. I, I couldn't find it. So, yeah, there's yeah, that's what it is. It's called run shell script. 
All right, so then you would need to create a shell script with the terminal command. Okay. Well, you mean right, just, that, that's but that's it. The, no, no, no. You put it right in the thing. I mean, it, you you build the script inside your automator application, so you don't need to to create it on the disk. You just put whatever your zip command is, zip ba ba ba, and it'll take the you can take the input as arguments or whatever you want, and you're good to go. I, I think that's it. I think it's quite it's that simple. So even you even you can do it. <laughs> that came out wrong. I didn't mean it that way. Yes, you did. No, no, no I didn't. No. Uh, so uh, put, yeah. put, put something together for the next show. You've got it, though. I already gave you your answer. It's a run shell no, no, script. That's it. You're good right, to go. Under automator what? So automator library files and folders? I don't know. I just searched. Just put in run. Just type run in the little search thing there. Run shell script. Hey, there, there it is. Go. Yeah. All right, but you got to make a shell script. No, which... you just type it in right there. That's what I'm saying. You, you quite literally take the zip command that you wanted to. Oh, there we go. Okay. Uh, there it is. So that, yeah, that's the. Okay. So that, that was the missing piece of knowledge is you didn't know how to, how to interface that with the terminal. Yeah. It's, it works pretty well. And you can, you know, you can assign things to variables so you could pull a file. Well, here's in. what annoys me is that I, I was expecting to find that in files and folders. Now, what library Oh, I don't you know. See, yeah, I in know. The actions. That okay, a, no, no, no. That you, is a problem you, with Automator. You're, you're right. Is, is it? There's stuff is everywhere, and it's, it's not entirely the most intuitive thing. Right. I was expecting if I was in the files and folders library category, I would see a run shell script. Right. Action available to me, and I didn't. So that's why I gave up on that. Okay. Is it, no, you is found it, it. under right. utilities? It might be under uh, utilities. Let's see. Hold on. Could be. We're live here, folks. That's right. Utilities. Uh, yeah, it is. It's under utilities where you can also run, run. shell script. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right, it's, then I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. that's a. a, a <laughs> all right. Yeah. It's, it's automators wacky. You know, Sal and and his team they're they're a crazy bunch, but uh, but the thing works, so that's a good thing. Okay. So then you would paste in what I said the terminal yeah. command was, and uh, then you build your automator action. Yeah. And I would assume it would prompt you at that point for the password when you build. A, well, that, that would be the interesting thing is, is to see how you need to interact with that, because what you might need to do is have automator grab the password, you know, it's use get variable in, in automator and, uh, and then put that in a variable and then build the password into the zip, you know, shell script command. I, I don't know. That's what you'd have to test, but, uh, but yeah, there you go. It's good stuff. Okay. That'd yeah. be the good point. Yeah, that'd be the interesting. Would it stop and prompt you with some sort of? It would if you yeah, do. Would it get be smart variable. enough to say, yeah. "Oh, you're prompting the user for something"? Let me put up a dialogue, or who knows? Mm-mm. Okay, I'll explore that. Yeah, yeah, that's where it gets interesting. That's right. That's right. Yeah, good one. Okay, oh. nice one. <laughs> but no, I learned something about Automator. It's uh, <laughs> it, that it's wacky. Finding well, finding what you need is is more difficult than I thought. Yes, that is always true in Automator. And, it, you know, it's one of those things. It's ultimately flexible right up until you hit its wall. And when you hit that wall, there's no going up, over, down, or under. You know, it's it's over. It's like, that's it. Yep, this is this is the limit. And I guess, you know, I guess actually you can go under the wall because you can run AppleScript or you can run terminal commands and, and do some stuff. But uh, sweet. Yeah, you know. 
All right. Uh, I still have another automator problem I want to I want to run through with you, but I, I need to get you more well versed in automator before I ask the question. So so this is part of my as uh, part of my, I'm pretty, my mo here. I told you I wrote my automator I to import my uh, import my photos into uh, Aperture. So right. so I'm I'm not a total noob. Yeah. Well, here's what I want to do. I'll tell you. In fact, I'll tell all of the listeners. I don't know why I'm tell- keeping this secret. Uh, <laughs> I want to be able, and this has to do with the the automator. Uh, action that or automator, uh, what do you call it? Workflow that uh, I use to produce the show. Like as soon as we finish recording, which is going to be, you know, as soon as I shut up here, uh, yeah. I take the file and I dump it into an automator action that then goes and does all this stuff. Well, especially now that we've started doing our premium show, there's sometimes where I need to manipulate the file name and my action goes and, and converts in iTunes and saves it out and then uploads it with transmit and, uh, and all that. But I want to be able to control the file name. And what I cannot seem to do for the life of me is rename a file based on input from the user in the middle of the script. I want it to say, do you want, you know, do you want to rename the file? Or if so, type something here and, and just let it do it. And I just can't figure it out. Uh, so I don't know. Right. Uh, you know that that's that's my thing, and maybe I do need because I can pull a variable, but the file rename uh, action won't take a variable, which is like, uh, mm. yeah, that's the thing. So maybe I need to use this run uh, shell script and do my rename with an MV command. Ooh. Oh. Y- y- you know what I mean, and and do Nasty. it that way. Yeah, but why, yeah, why do I have to? Because that's the walls, right? That's what I'm saying about automating. You hit yes, these yep. walls. So if anybody out there knows, or John, if you figure it out, that 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 would save me. I would I would kiss your feet. That would be awesome. Unless you know, unless you don't want me to kiss your feet, and then I'll just say thanks. I don't know how I feel about that. All right. Well, Talk Michael Johnston, uh, we can ask him how he feels about it. Michael Johnston is from We Have Communicators podcast. He also converts this show to AAC for us and for you. Cashfly.com provides all the bandwidth. The podcast marketplace includes the A5 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, Yojimbo from Barebones Software, PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro from Smile, Notebook from Circus Ponies, and Stitcher with promo code MGG, all through Backbeat Media. John, unless you've got something else to add, we're out of here. I got nothing. Awesome. It's a good one. Fun show. Thanks for sticking around. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for participating, folks. We love doing this. We love the fact that you do it with us. Thanks for being you. Oh, we forgot cool stuff found. Well, more next time. We'll just have to double up on cool stuff found next time, but it looks like for this one, we got caught.